am from ISIS. It is critical for Iraq, supplying water and power to millions. The Islamists are on the run. Their vehicles litter the roads. This is the first time that the seemingly unstoppable advance of ISIS has not only been halted, but been reversed. There were 15 U.S. airstrikes today hitting dug-in positions, but the ISIS bullets still flew overhead. Kurds are appealing to the West for better weapons. They say they're outgunned by ISIS, and they acknowledge American firepower has made all the difference. They are firing these rockets at ISIS positions about six miles from here south towards the city of Mosul, which ISIS still controls. Away from the battlefield, refugees from a religious minority the militants want to wipe out. ISIS killed this girl's sister. Without American airstrikes, says her father, we could never have driven ISIS away. They've lost so much, but today their enemies lost ground and a crucial battle. Bill Neely, NBC News, near Mosul Dam, Iraq. You know, with uh, all this going on around the world, I felt like it was appropriate to move into a series this month of October that deals with end times. There's so much teaching. Some of you've set under teaching about end times. Some of you are enamored by it. Some of you don't know what to think about it. Some of you have no idea what's going on. And so the Lord was just kind of impressed upon my heart because everything's gearing up for Halloween and people deal with fear and they, they dress in those costumes like the Druids used to dress over across uh, the sea in Great Britain and they would wear the costumes at night to, to hide from the spirits and that's where the whole costume idea came about. It's interesting that God is doing something in and through all this to overcome fear and destroy it. And so with all that's out there and there's all that's happening, uh, whether it's fear of Ebola or fear of the unknown or fear of the end times or just dealing with the fear of I'm just going to be alone, whatever it might be, I felt like it would be appropriate to deal, some, deal something powerful with what's going on. I wanted to, to start with ISIS, not to bring you down, but to show you the glory of the Lord. So what does ISIS stand for? That's not rhetorical. What's it stand for? Islamic State of Iraq and Syria. You are correct. Islamic State of Iraq and Syria. That's what ISIS stands for. And they're going for that. And I thought it was so appropriate that it shows so much in Scripture of the end times. Y'all don't believe me? You think I'm up here and I'm whacked? I am. But I want to show you something that's very interesting. Um, Brandy, my adopted daughter, if you'll put that picture up. I want to show, oh my, check this out. This is really cool. This is a picture of, you see Syria to the left. You see the Euphrates River, that's the blue, with the arrows pointing to it. And then you see the orange. And that orange is under ISIS activity. And you see the orange where they control it. Now, they were going to the Mosul Dam. The Mosul Dam is this big dam that carries the water supply to, to, to millions and millions of people in Mosul. The city named Mosul, what is it called in the Old Testament? Who said it? Who? Uh, Jeremy, you did. Uh, and Rebecca. Yes, Nineveh. Nineveh is modern day Mosul. And so what happens, I want you to look at something. This is so cool, Jeremy. Don't you start going about zombies and, and all this crazy stuff because I know you're going to take this and the Lord will show you something deep and then you'll go crazy with it. All right, so um, this, this idea, this is where the presence they are. Now, you see there are some territory in Syria they do have, but you'll see most of it is on to the right of what river? What river? Tell me. I didn't hear you. What river? Ah. Turn to Revelation chapter 9. Looky, looky. What 
God has got for us. This is so good. This is like Christmas for me. You know, I'm just so excited when God gets, this is good stuff. Revelation chapter 9. Well, I'm going to read this out of New American Standard that I have on my paper, and then I'll probably go into a little bit. You'll have to flow with me a little bit, Brandy. I'm sorry. I get, I get too excited, you know, and I can't control myself. I got problems. It's like seeing food. It just, everything goes out the window. All right. Uh, Revelation 9. Oh, well, and, 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 and then we're going to go back and look at that picture. Sorry, Brandy, it's going to be all over the place. Um, Revelation chapter 9, verse 13. Then the sixth angel sounded, and I heard a voice, voice from the four horns of the golden altar, which is before God. I mean, this is a glimpse of heaven. I love reading, uh, reading uh, Revelation because you just it just gives you this picture of what heaven is like right now. Where all the people that, that love Jesus have died have gone to be with him. This is so cool. It says, one, verse 14, one sing to the sixth angel who heard the trumpet, release the four angels who are bound at the great river, what saints? At what river? Go back to that picture, please. There's a line of demarcation, Jeremy Pollitt. Does anybody see it? And what is that line? The great river what? Oh, are you meaning to tell me that there are angels who have that, that uh, angels who are bound at the great river? Yes. Yes, verse 15, don't, just keep that picture up there please, Brandy. Verse 15 says, And the four angels who had been prepared for the hour and day and month and year were released so that they would kill a third of mankind. Mm. I don't know, somebody else has got a series on family and somebody else got a series on sassy and somebody else doing a little series on love and we're dealing with Jesus. Oh, well, you look at that. The green at the top of a rack, look at the rack picture there at the bottom. The green is Kurdish. In the middle there is Sunni Arab and the red part is Shia. And there's this battle of the Shia and Sunni, and that's where ISIS is coming from. And just to show you that there's this river and there's this kind of slime, and, and in Syria, you, you, you've got ISIS taking over parts of Syria, and then there's this river, and then there's angels that are bound there that are going to be released, and then the Bible says a third of mankind, the number of the armies of horsemen, I love this, that they would kill a third of mankind, verse 16, the number of the armies of the horsemen was 200 million. I heard the number of them go Go back and read Revelation chapter 9 and you're going to talk about then all of a sudden these things are released and, and then John sits there and he's going to say, how do I describe this stuff? I have to describe this in human terms. And he says, there were these things, they had tails with fire coming out that looked like serpents and then out of their mouths one looks like a lion and one looks like this and there, there, were, there were stuff fire that comes out from their face out of their mouths and all I could think about was our jet airplanes. You know, some of our airplanes right now, if you look at our war hogs, they've got faces painted on them on the planes, right? And if you look at the tails with the jet coming out and the, and the heat and the, and the light, it looks like a, a, a tail, a serpent's tail. See, they're describing, he, John is describing the stuff that he sees in the future in terms that he knows. Like we describe God in human terms. It's called anthropomorphic language. Fancy word. I'm not trying to confuse you, but it, we, we describe God in man's terms. We say God has a face and that God has hands and is the arm of the Lord not too short. And God walks in the, in the cool of the day in Genesis 3 with Adam and Eve. What do you mean God walks? He's a spirit. How do spirits walk? We have to describe it in terms that we know. So he's describing these terms. If you go back and read Revelation 9, then it is powerful because it just kind of screams this military language and it's awesome. But I'm not going to talk about all that today. I just wanted you to see that all the stuff that's happening, it's not like that God is going, oh, I can't believe they did that. That wasn't on my agenda. Jesus, can you pull out a book, please? I need to find out what to do. Like that's, that's not what God's doing. This is all part of his plan. So don't get freaked out, but get ready to stand up for the Lord. 
He would say, but John, we're not under persecution. Yo, well, it just depends on what, what you determine persecution. If persecution is martyrdom, I would say no. But if persecution is the fact that you're a bigot and you're an idiot and you're a loser because you say that the Bible's true, then I would say yes. Because see, I believe that every word in this book is the infallible and errant word of God, and it is true. And I believe that God's word is so true that it trumps anything that man wants to say. You see, man says be tolerant and loving, and God says follow Jesus. Man, man wants to say accept everyone, and the Bible says, oh no, just accept Jesus. You see, here's the point. I mean, Christians are, we're the ones that can coexist. Others cannot coexist. Just put it out there. Put it out there. It's true. They can't because we come in the name of love. But not man's love. God's love. And all this is going on in the spiritual realm and people just going right by. Just going right by. See, what we're doing right now, we're looking at, we're outcasts if we go into politics. We're outcasts if we go into academics. Because it's intellectual suicide to say that I believe in microevolution and not macroevolution. Right? Huh? Can I get a witness on some of yous? See, I said yous for the northern accent, right? See, my point is, is that, you know, we're looked at as dumb and ignorant. But listen, I don't care. I don't got time for what people say about me. Because I, and when you're loving Jesus and you're following Jesus, you don't have time to listen to any other voices but Jesus's. And so this is what's going on out there. But I love in Revelation 21.5. Re- Revelation 21.5, Jesus says this. And you can, sh- you can throw that scripture up there if you don't mind, please, Brandy. He says, and he who sits on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things what, saints? See, when you become born again, you have new ideas, you have new desires, you have new want-tos, you, you have a new relationship. You get saved in your marriage, your marriage changes, you get saved, you're in a relationship, your relationship changes. If you're single and you get saved, your singleness changes, you begin to look at things like God. Everything has become new. Our body become new. Our minds become new. All of a sudden we become driven to do things we weren't driven to do before. Our classwork changes. Everything, the way we treat people changes. He makes all things new. So when people say to me, I don't know if God can fix it they just don't know Bible because he makes all things new and nothing is impossible for God what Mary was told by the angel and what Mary said nothing is impossible with God he makes all things new and that's why there's beauty and why there's hope and so we enter into the series I want you to see some of the stuff that's out there and so I looked at this passage, this is something that God laid on my heart. He just gave it to me uh, last week. He was just pouring it into me. And I got to share it with, with my extended family last week and some of my family. But let's go to our main passage, Romans chapter 3. Whew! And all this judgment that's coming, like God is going to send judgment. But because he's made us new, and because we have been burned by the power and the fire and the holiness of God through the Holy Spirit, When his judgment fire comes, fire does not burn what's already been burned. Instead, we have been purified and we live and get to see the glory of God. So I want to give you the main point today. It's on SummitCharleston.com. It's on Summit Church uh, Facebook page if you're there. All the sermon notes. Here is the point and the goal of today. Mercy triumphs over judgment. I'll go to this side because y'all amen me. Here we go. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Mercy is beautiful. And all this stuff in Revelation, when you read this and you read all this stuff that's happening and it's just so prophetic and how it's, ha- and it's coming about and it's coming into play. And yes, do I believe there'll be a great army coming from the north? Yes, do I believe that the bear and the dragon will come together? Yes, do I believe it all? Yes, yes, and yes. But at the end of the day, God is using them as instruments of judgment and in the very end, mercy will triumph. And we who are called by God will see Jesus. And we will love him. And we will sing hallelujah. And we will, that's why we sang the second song. Come, come Jesus. Maranatha, the way Revelation ends. Maranatha, come quickly, Jesus. And this is beauty. Romans chapter 3. Oh, this is so good. 
so good. I love the book of Romans so much. I, my, my, my last child, his middle name is Roman. So that's why I just, I just start naming people. So if I start calling you a, a book's name in the Bible, it's because I love you. Here we go. All right, Romans, Romans 3, verse 19. This is good stuff. All right, mercy in Jesus triumphs over judgment. God's mercy in Jesus triumphs, triumphs over judgment. Verse 19. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. Uh, that's revelation, by the way. It's revelation. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the what, saints? By the works of the what? Rather, through the law, we became conscience of our sin. We cannot become righteous via the law. We cannot become righteous via the law. The law does not bring us to righteousness. Yet people say today, over and over, to me and to you, they say, I'm a good person. See, good is a word of legal terms. But righteousness is a saved of, is a word of Jesus' terms. And so what happens, let's keep, this is so beautiful. We were left with the law. The Lord was showing me as I read this, we were left with the law. You said, well, John, if the law's here and it shows us that, that, that we become conscious of our sin, how did we get to that point? It's very simple. The Lord showed me, let me just put out, just typed it down. We were left with the law because our sin ruined our ability to be in the presence of God. Here's what happened. In Genesis, we were in the presence of God. Genesis chapter 3, they were walking with God. Adam and Eve, uh, God was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. There was this presence of God. They were walking, but they sinned. And all of a sudden, God says, you can't stay in the place that, live, that lives forever. You can't stay in the place. I'm going to kick you out of the Garden of Eden. And I'm going to put a, 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 a cherubim there with a flaming sword. That you can't get back in. And the reason why, it's not so that people couldn't get to God. It's so that sin can't live forever. Mm, you know that was good you just know because you ain't looked at it that way before see because sin was inside us and sin can't live forever and if it eats of the tree of life sin will live forever and God is not going to let live sin live forever and so then all of a sudden there was they began but they still had this relationship with God his presence was there and then all of a sudden there's in Genesis 4 we go from Genesis 3 to a, to a sin uh, of disobedience now we're in Genesis 4 one chapter we're already in murder and then so then all of a sudden God is still speaking to Cain he says man your brother's blood is calling out from the ground to me and then all of a sudden, at the end of Genesis 4, we read something that's very scary and very dark in Scripture. It says that man began to call on God. Because what happened, sin created this distance. Now God wasn't walking with us and communing with us. It was now where we call on him. And sin created this such a separation that God says, I can't even walk with you in my presence. But what I am going to do is I'm going to give you my word. <laughs> Y'all don't get it. All right, so... I'm going to give you my word. And so he gives them the law and he says, here's the law. And I, I want you to see, I want you to see my promises in this. I want you to see this is what it should look like to walk in a community with God. I'm going to give you my word. But one day my word will not just be on papyrus. My word will become a living word. And tabernacle among you, as John 1.14 says. And the word dwelt among us. Skene in the Greek, tabernacled, walked among us. Because the word was there, because his word, it becomes life, it becomes our connection. And the Holy Spirit reminds us of the very word of God that leads us to the presence of God. Because Jesus is the word. So here we go in verse 21. But now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known. So now the righteousness can't be known through the law. If you're trying to live right, you'll never make it. But John, I haven't murdered anybody. You're exactly right, but on whose scale of justice are you measuring yourself? To denounce God is to absolutely murder Him. In fact, it was us denouncing Him that put Him on the cross. See, when you realize that we were a part of God's plan of Jesus on the death, His death, and that we, our sins put Him there, then all of a sudden we realize we're responsible. So the law can't help you do anything. I did every, I tried to do everything right. That's, 
It's got to be Jesus. But now apart from the law of righteousness of God has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. So the very word of God was testifying that he was testifying. This is Jesus. It's Jesus. Galatians 3, 23 through 24. Brandy will put that up there. Look at this. But before faith came, we were kept in custody under the law, being shut up to the faith, which was later to be revealed. Look at verse 24. Therefore, the law has become our what, saints? Our what? In other words, the law is not salvation. The law leads us to the one who is salvation. The law is the tutor that leads us to Christ. The law shows us we need Jesus. That's why people say, oh, it's against the law to work on Sunday. Well, which law are you going to live under? If you're going to live under Old Testament law, yeah. Well, then I shouldn't work on Sunday, John, because then I'll be right with God. Well, by the way, you've got wrong theology because the law is never meant to save you. Though, but you go ahead and live by it. Say, I don't have to worry about working on Sunday because I got Jesus. And in Jesus, he is my freedom. In Jesus, he is my Sabbath, right? The man, uh, man was made for the, uh, man, uh, Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. And so we get it all messed up and we get all jacked up because we try to take a little bit of the law and infuse it with Jesus when it's just all Jesus. So John, you're saying I can do whatever I want, whenever I want, how I want. Paul answered that too. He said, may, may I go on sinning so that grace may abound more so? May it never be. But the law does not save. None of the law saves. The law just says we need Jesus. It's our tutor to lead us to Christ. So mercy comes in Jesus and shows itself in righteousness. He is all right. Verse 22, Romans 3, 22. The righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, which means anybody, anybody, anywhere can be saved. Anybody can be right with God, be back in communion with God, and one day be in his presence. And God says, I'm going to show you you're going to be in my presence so much that I'm going to give you part of my presence called the Holy Spirit who's going to dwell within you in Ephesians 1, seal you. So he seals us with his presence because one day we'll be fully in his presence. Because of Jesus' righteousness. That is the gospel. When we say yes and our lives become the life of Jesus, when we say, Jesus, your life is my life, I'll do whatever, whenever, whatever, I am giving my life to you, I am surrendering my life to you would probably be the correct term. And so God, all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit then seals us because he's the one who woke us up anyway to see Jesus. You see, we were a dead corpse to begin with. Ephesians 2, 1, we're dead in our trespasses and sin. The law shows us. So what am I going to do if somebody out here today doesn't know Jesus Christ? You're a dead corpse. What am I going to do? Stand over you and say, wake up, wake up. I can't wake up the dead. I can't yell at it. I wanted to get a mannequin today and start yelling at the mannequin. Wouldn't that be a great visual? Right? And the mannequin just, I was going to dress him like Jeremy Pollock with a surfboard. Um, so uh, he's a little tired. They had their, their college weekend. He's a little tired. Don't you go to sleep? Well, I see you over there. You got your coat all the way up. It's a little chilly in here. You're all snuggling. And the next thing you're just out. I will call you out. All right. So uh, I love you, brother, in the name of Jesus. I'm kidding. So but what happens is, is you, you see this. I'm not going to yell at this dead corpse because I can't wake up a dead corpse. But only only God can. So the spirit wakes us up to see the beauty of Jesus. At that moment, we say yes or no. Now, if you're highly reformed, you're going, oh, you can't. It's irresistible. If you believe in free will, you're like, oh, it's, I can't. And then, uh, and, and what happens is, then people go, okay, yes, I surrender my life to the Lord. We get his righteousness. And the Holy Spirit stays alive within us. That's what he's saying in verse 22. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There's no difference between Jew and Gentile. For all have sinned. And what? Of the glory of God. The glory of God is Jesus. Verse 24, it gets even better. You got it. All right, so you see verse 24. And all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. It's he's the one who redeems us. God, verse 25. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement. Stop. 
The Lord showed me this. I had no idea. I promise you, the Lord is my witness. The Lord is my witness. The Lord is my witness. I, the Lord showed me this a week and a half ago and said, John, preach this. And I'm going, oh, preach on Jesus as the atonement. So he said, yes, show them what it means to Jesus' atonement. Then all of a sudden, I, it hit me last night that Friday night began the Jewish festival Yom Kippur. Yom in Hebrew means day. Kippur means atonement. And it, and it ended Saturday night. So I go, Lord, your timing is so beautiful. Look at verse 25 there. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement. Uh, can you show that picture if you don't mind, please, Randy? I want to show the picture there of the, the Ark of the Covenant, if it's okay. I know that I'm kind of jumping around a little bit, and so I apologize. But I want, I want us to see this picture. All right, so this is the picture of the Ark of the Covenant that would be, that was in the tabernacle, that, that was, uh, which is the tent of meeting. It's just a big tent. And then, then there's the idea of um, it was in the uh, temple. And so inside the Ark, you see three things. What were the three things inside the Ark? There was a jar of what? All right, see that jar, that round-looking thing there? That's a jar, okay? A jar. It's supposed to represent a jar of man. There's a rod, and it's got like these little green leaves. What is that? Talk to me. What? Aaron's rod. Yes, that bought it. Good, a proof of who God chose to be the priesthood. And what's the next thing? The Ten Commandments, Yes. The Ten Commandments. Now, this is what the Lord showed me. You got you to get this. So inside that box that was overlaid with gold, inside the very Holy of Holies, inside that place was this box. And in there were the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments are called the law. The law, does the law save us, yes or no? So you're correct. So the law shows us that we are in sin. The law says sin. Now, above the, uh, the ark, there's a lid. And on that lid are there two angelic creatures with their wings covering their faces and almost touching each other. That is called the mercy what? Seat or the atonement cover. Hmm. The atonement cover. Romans 3.25 says that Jesus is our atonement. In other words, think about this. Here you have the law that says, John Davis, die. Forever, eternally, you're in sin. Die. But then there's a mercy seat called the atonement cover. The mercy seat. Jesus becomes our atonement. He covers up my sin. He covers up all my problems. He covers all my things that destroy my relationship with God. And because of him, I get mercy. Jesus. Silence or silences the voice that says we should perish. Because he paid our price for our sins. The law says die. The atonement says mercy. God's mercy in Jesus triumphs over judgment. I'll just show, this is so, this is so deep. I mean, so God is not angry with you. He is not mad with you. He is not upset with you. But, but John, but I, I feel the pain of discipline when I sin. Yes. And the Bible says he disciplines those he loves. See, if I didn't care about you, I'd just let you burn and go to hell. If I didn't care about you, I'd let you run out in the street and play in the street and get hit by a car. If I didn't care about you, I, I wouldn't try and correct the way you eat so you don't die early. But if I love you, I'm going to grab you before you walk in the street and say, don't do that. Come back over here. If I love you, I'm not going to let you out of the house if I don't trust you to not go play in the street. Because I don't want you to die. Jesus becomes our mercy. 
And so when we stand in front of God, listen, if you and I were to drop dead right now, we stand in front of God forgiven and holy. He is our mercy seat. And Satan is over there saying, which means accuser, right? he's accusing the brethren. He's saying, look, the law says John should die. And yet Jesus stands at the center of the throne with the marks of the cross and says, live. That is our hope. He makes all things new. He's not angry with us. Isaiah 53, 3 through 4. I want to read this out of New King James Version because I love, I love the King James, the New King James. I cut my teeth on the King James growing up. It says, he was despised, Jesus. He was despised and rejected by men. So when you feel despised, guess what? There's somebody who can walk with you. When you feel the rejection in a relationship or rejection of a job or rejection in life, there's somebody who can walk with you. A man of sorrows and was acquainted with grief. Jesus is going to take this. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we did not esteem him. Verse 4. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. I love this. Jesus, I am heartbroken over the death of someone. I'm heartbroken over the sorrow in this relationship. I'm sorrowful about this. But Jesus bore my sorrows. So my, so my, when I even sin against God and I'm broken about it, my sorrow doesn't lead to death. It leads to life. Godly sorrow produces repentance. We know in Corinthians that ungodly sorrow can lead to death. You can lead to such to severe depression that eventually kills you. Listen, we can't walk in that when Jesus is real. He is the man of sorrows. He can heal every sorrow. He can take it away. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. God is the one who struck Jesus. God struck Jesus instead of striking us. This is beautiful. God's mercy in Jesus triumphs over judgment. We don't have a judgment of heaven and hell. Verse 10 says this. I love it in the NIV. Yet it was the Lord's will to do what, saints? It was the Lord's will to do what? I didn't hear you what? See, God crushed Jesus. God killed Jesus. Uh-uh, you said, uh-uh, John. Uh-uh, uh-uh, uh-uh. The, 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 the chief priests and, and, and the Pharisees said, she, no, they, they're the ones who did it. Sanhedrin, they're the ones who did it. No, 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 no. No, see, they were just doing what God's will was. That will be done on earth as it is in heaven. See, it was God's, it was God's will. God crushed Jesus. That's why Jesus said, I'll go. I'll, I'll become a man. See, Jesus was a God who became a man, not a man who became a God. Yet in the Garden of Eden, man wanted to become a God, right? Don't eat the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And, and Satan's like, uh, oh, can you really trust him? He's holding stuff out on you. You'll be like him, the Bible says. You'll be like God if you eat of that. See, man is always trying to be his own God. And that's why we get judgment. But yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life a guilt offering, atonement, 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 saints, he will see his offspring, resurrection, and prolong his days. And the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. That's what happens in Jesus. The, and that is, why we, that is why we get now, because we get the very presence of Jesus, because of the death, burial, and resurrection, we get the very presence of Jesus within us called the Holy Spirit. And he is called the Comforter. And it's like somebody once said, the reason why we get the Comforter is because God puts us in uncomfortable places. But John, I don't always feel righteous or act righteous. I don't always feel that way. So how is Jesus our righteous? He is our atonement. Go back to Romans 3.25. This is where it gets good. Come on. Y'all hang in there with me. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of the atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. Jesus did it all for us. He is the atonement cover so we get nothing but mercy because you see the law says die but we were hid in Christ. He is the cover that covers us that leads us to the mercy we get his mercy that leads us to the very presence of God that would rest on top of the ark. Mm, see, we're just not, we're not there yet. We're not getting it. Leviticus 16. Look at Leviticus 16, 1 and 2. This is really good stuff. Come on, saints. Go, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. If you have your Bibles, if you have your phones, boom. iPad, boom. Here we go. Look at Leviticus 16. It'll be up here as well so you can read. I want you to saturate yourself. This talks about the Day of Atonement. Yom Kippur. This Day of Atonement. Well, one time a year, the high priest 
Aaron would go in behind the curtain, the veil that separated him from the presence of God, and he would go with a censer that put smoke out. That's why in Catholicism, you see the censer with smoke. But we don't have to have a censer when his name's Jesus. And you see, I don't have to sprinkle lamb's blood. And I don't have to put it on my earlobes and on the tip of my fingers and on my toes. I don't have to do that. I don't have to cover my body as an analogy to cover these external parts and blood. When I'm covered in Jesus, he is my atonement cover. Somebody will get it. Then the Lord spoke to Moses after the death of his two sons of Aaron. See, his two sons got drunk and went into the presence of God and fire came out of the tent of meeting and destroyed him. Be very careful being in the presence of God drunk. Just telling you what the word of God says. But it's okay to drink. You go ahead. Then the Lord said to spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron who died when they approached the Lord. The Lord said to Moses, tell your brother Aaron not to come whenever he chooses into the most holy place. That's where the Ark of the Covenant is, where we showed you that picture. That place behind the curtain in front of the atonement cover on the Ark. Foreshadowing of Jesus. Or else he will die because I appear in the cloud over the atonement cover. Remember, the law in the box says, die, John. Die. Die. The Ten Commandments. Die. Yet the atonement cover says, live, and then the presence of God. So when I have the atonement cover of Jesus, I can be in the presence of... Then verse 13. He is to put incense on the fire before the Lord, and the smoke of the incense will conceal the atonement cover above the testimony. I love this. Just saying, well, John, why did he do all that? Listen, I really want you to know this, that Jesus was not going to be revealed until the time God wanted him to be revealed. But there's also a bigger picture than that. So that he will not die. Verse 14, he is to take some of the bull's blood and with his finger sprinkle it in on the front of the atonement cover. Notice the atonement cover always has blood over it. Jesus. Then he shall sprinkle some of it with his finger seven times. Seven is a complete number, right? Seven days created. Well, six days he created, seventh he rests. Uh, before the atonement cover. He shall then slaughter, slaughter the goat for the sin offering for the people and take its blood behind the curtain and do with it as he did with the bull's blood. He shall sprinkle it on the atonement cover and in front of it. In this way, he will make atonement for the most holy place because of the uncleanness and rebellion of the Israelites. Whatever their sins have been. Whatever their sins have been. Whatever. Well, John, can, can Jesus really save me? Whatever your sins. Uh, some of you don't believe it, but John, just too far. I know people too far. Ago, whatever your sins. Notice the word of God. Even Leviticus, he said, whatever their sins. He is to do the same for the tent of meeting, which is among them in the midst of their uncleanness. No one is to be in the tent of meeting from the time, of, the time Aaron goes to make atonement in the most holy place till he comes out. Having made atonement for himself, his household, and the whole community of Israel. And so I go back. Can we show that picture of the ark, if you don't mind? So I go back and, and I think of this. So here Aaron would go in there and you see the poles where they carry You can't touch the ark. If they touch the ark, like Uriah died, right? And so... Uh, and so you, so you see the, this picture, and you see that they would stand in front, the high priest, and just to be in God's presence. Moses was in God's presence, and of course the light would change, and there was this cloud, you know, the, the censer would put smoke in there because there was this idea of separation, you can't look at God and live, and all this other stuff. But then the Lord showed me, the Lord shows me about how strong Jesus' blood is. Because remember, blood and the atonement cover always, always together. Blood and the atonement cover always together. Genesis chapter 4, verse 10. Look at this on the screen. Genesis 4, verse 10. This is powerful. The Lord said to Cain, What you have done by killing his brother Abel. What have you done? Listen. I love when he says that. Your brother's what? cries out to me from the ground. Get this, saints. The blood of Cain, excuse me, of Abel, was crying out to God from the ground. How much more does the blood of Jesus cry out? Huh? 
How much more does the blood of Jesus cry out over, over our sins, over our iniquities, over our trespasses? How much more does that, if the blood of one man cries out to God, how much more does the blood of God himself cry out to God? See, y'all not feeling me. So I, this is why I want you to know what worship should be like. This is why God, can you tell that it burns in me, by the way, or am I just up here acting crazy? Do you believe it burns in me? Hebrews 12. Look at this. Just look at this. Just look at this. Hebrews 12, verse 18. You have, you have not, this is what worship is today because of Jesus. Because he's our atonement cover. Because he is our lid. And he covers all our sins. By the way, he doesn't just cover our sins. He removes our sins. Mm-hmm. Right? He throws them as far as the east is from the it's not just covering my sins, he washes them away. See, when you just cover sins, you've got to continually cover them. But when you wash them away, they are no more. You have not come to a mountain that can be touched and that is burning with fire. Remember the mountain there in Sinai? You remember the mountain? If you go and you look at pictures of it right now where, they, where they've gone, just the top part, about that much of the dirt is burned. It's actually black. It's, it's charred by, as if fire was on top of Mount Sinai. And we would say, yes, because the presence of God, fire came down and did that. You'd say, but no, John, no, I'm a geologist. That's actually a mountains are volcanoes. So that's why the rock is that way. Well, my question to you, if it was a, if it was a volcanic rock, then why is it just that deep? Why isn't it all the way deep? Burned. Just the top. Just the top is scorched. Just the top. Because the presence of God came down. But we don't have to come to a mountain like that. It was scary. To darkness, gloom, and storm. To a trumpet blast or to such a voice speaking words that those who heard it begged that no further word be spoken to them because they could not bear what was commanded. If even an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned. The sight was so terrifying that Moses said, I am trembling with fear. See, before Jesus, the law says judgment. The law says this is the God that you're facing. And the very words of God are so weighty, they would crush you called his glory. See, that's what it was before Jesus. That was like, that's why they had to have smoke. That's why there was a distance. That's why there was a veil. But the veil had been torn in Jesus. And look what he says. This is what worship should be like. So Robbie, come on up here and play for us. This is what worship should be like. This is when we come in here. This is what worship should be like. But you have come to Mount Zion. That's the, Zion is the highest point in Jerusalem where the temple was built. It's the, it was the highest hill within, Jerusalem is a city on a hill, but it was the highest part of it, Mount Zion. This is so good, man. It changed my life when I read this. But you have come to Mount Zion to the heavenly Jerusalem, the city of the what, saints? You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in what? I, I didn't hear you. In what? Celebrate, Jesus, celebrate. Shut up. That's terrible. Joyful assembly. If the Lord has saved us and we have been redeemed by the name of the Lord, then we should be so excited about the presence of God. All right, so I can talk about Ricky because he's not here. So y'all know Ricky and Summer for their anniversary, they went to uh, Notre Dame. And they watched Notre Dame and Stanford play yesterday. Some of y'all saw on Facebook. How many of y'all saw that on Facebook? Anybody see it? Good, all five of you. And, and, um, and so, and, and he goes there because uh, the wide receiver at Hanahan High School, uh, he was the guy who taught the winning, uh, caught the winning touchdown pass. He won the, set the state record in the triple jump. Chris is a tremendous athlete from Hanahan. And so he's this big receiver. So he got Ricky tickets and they got him uh, all the stuff. And Parker Pass, they were hanging out after the game. And Ricky posts pictures and all this stuff. So they're, they're at the game. And Ricky, Ricky's filming at the end of the game. And all of a sudden, if you go back, look on Ricky Reyes' Facebook. All of a sudden, if you go back, it's, it's on there. And it has that whole last play where, where the guy catches the touchdown pass there right near the end of the game. And the crowd is going crazy. And, and you hear Ricky going, yeah, yeah. Not that he's loud. Yeah right and you've got these people commenting like that's incredible that's incredible and so I just left a comment 
Because you know I can't go without making a comment. And I said, what if worship was like that? Oh, by the way, happy anniversary. What if worship was like that? God's mercy in Jesus triumphs judgment. So, angels, thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly to the church of the firstborn, that's us, whose names are written in heaven. See, Yom Kippur was a day, if you, if you go back and study Yom Kippur, Yom Kippur was a day of, like, the, everybody was to fast. And if you were pregnant and about ready to have a child, you didn't have to fast. Or if you were seven days out from uh, having a baby, then you could fast. There's all these different rules. But it was, a, it was your last chance. Go back and read it and study it. I dare you. It was your last chance to get right with God. Yom Kippur was the day was your last chance to get right with God. And yet Jesus has become our last chance to get right with God. And we are. whose names are written in heaven. What did Jesus say in Luke 10? Don't rejoice that the spirits are subject to you in my name. Rejoice that your names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Rejoice that your names are written in heaven. To the church of the firstborn whose names are written in heaven, you have come to God, the judge of all men, to the spirits of righteous men made perfect. That's us. To Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of who? (laughs) His voice is continually crying out. And then it ends with, in verse 25, it ends with the first part of verse 25 says this. See to it that you do not refuse him. The him is Jesus who speaks. So this is the call today. Is there anyone in this room who needs mercy? Yeah, there's a day like this coming when there'll be a group like ISIS that is coming and those, those angels will be released and there'll be an army that brings destruction and there'll be malice and harm and hurt and pain and suffering but we don't come to a mountain that's dark and gloomy and afraid of God and scared of God that there has to be this cloud that covers the very presence of God no we come into his presence by Jesus whose blood continually speaks louder and better and you say but John I don't know. I'm in here and I don't know. Listen, his mercy is for everyone who calls on him. That means who will surrender your life. And you have to be willing to give everything. So let me try and talk you out of following Jesus. Don't come. Don't come if you're not willing to give up everything. Because it might go well and it might not. But it will go well with Jesus. In other words, you'll be more satisfied being with Jesus than you will having the satisfaction of all the world's treasures because he's a greater treasure. And if God is speaking to your heart and you're in soul, then I want you to come and I want you to say that I am believing Jesus as my Lord. And I want you to grab one of us for you that have never done that. So we want to offer that, that does anybody in here need mercy? It is available and it is ready. And this is a joyful assembly. And then for those that are Christians, let me talk to you for a moment. Now, I, I imagine my surmise, my uh, conjecture, my, my guess is that y'all are pretty much a lot of people in here are saved. Let me ask you this. Do you need mercy? You say, but John, I've already got it in Jesus. No, 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 no. You missed what I'm saying. Is there, do you need God to give you some mercy because you're struggling right now? God, I need some mercy. I need your mercy to give me strength in this relationship. I need to give you mercy and strength in this job. I need to give you mercy to walk with this family that just really doesn't uh, love the Lord and, and you're calling me to minister to these people. I just, need, I just need your mercy to kind of wash over me, Lord. I just need your mercy because I've been struggling over a couple things and I just need your mercy. I've been struggling with this in my thought. I've been struggling with this. I've been struggling with obedience in that. I just need some mercy. And here's what he says. We can come boldly. Hebrews 4. We can come boldly to the throne of grace and see grace and mercy 
mercy to help in our time of need. Grace is the ability to do what God's called you to do. It's the supernatural power. That's why he's putting you in a place that you can only call on him, that you can't get it done on your own. It's called grace, but you can also receive mercy that when there should be judgment, there's nothing but forgiveness. Where there should be pain, there's nothing but healing. Where there should be sorrow, there's joy. For his mercies are new every morning. Come on. Lamentations. I close with this, 3, 22 and 23. Though the Lord's mercies, through the Lord's mercies, we are not consumed. That's called Jesus. We are not consumed. Our God is a consuming fire. That's judgment language. Through the Lord's mercies, we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. His mercies are new every morning. If it wasn't for the mercy of God, we would be destroyed. Who needs the mercy of God? Great is your faithfulness, God. 2 Timothy 2.13, when I'm faithless, he is faithful. Great is your faithfulness. God will do it even when we can't by his grace. Who in this room needs mercy over your relationships? Who in here needs grace over what God's called you to do? Who in here needs to come and spend time in front of the Lord? Don't run away. It's a joyful place of love. You don't stand in front of a God waiting to strike you down. You stand in front of a God in Luke 15 whose arms are held open wide waiting for you to come and who will run and meet you and put the very best ring, signet seal on your finger called His Holy Spirit because we have an atonement in Jesus. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Father, that is my prayer. Who needs to come right now? Just right now. Just come and kneel before you. Come and spend some time as a family. Come and spend some time as friends. Some, some, just spend time maybe in a relationship or just by themselves. Lord, who needs to come and say, God, I need some grace. I need some mercy. I'm a believer. I'm a follower. You save me. You redeem me. But I need something right now. And give me mercy to love that person I just don't love. Give me the grace to do it. Give me the power to do it. God, I've been struggling in this area and I need mercy. And mercy triumphs judgment in your economy. God, I need some mercy. Who, Lord, today needs to call upon the name of the Lord? We don't come to a mountain that's full of fire and dark and gloom. But we come in the very place where the presence of God is. Where people are singing praises over him. And we can come boldly into the throne and receive grace and mercy to help us in our time of need. Hebrews chapter 4. God, I pray you would flood this altar with people from your presence. And we would not sit in our seats and say, oh God, I just need to pray about that. That God, we would get real with you. We would get real. And I know, Lord... We need to get real. There's people that gotta, we got to get real with you today. We are broken and helpless without Jesus. We are going to be persecuted. We're going to be hated. God, there's going to be some tough times. But you said, be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Well, give us the overcoming power by your spirit, Lord. Give us your grace and mercy. Pour it upon us, Lord, today. Pour it upon us today. God, we stand in your presence. Jesus the Nazarene. And wonder how he could love us. A sinner condemned unclean. Oh, how marvelous. Oh, how wonderful. And my song shall ever be. Oh, how marvelous. Oh, how wonderful. Is my Savior's love for me.